0: through 20. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father who is in heaven And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ.
1: It's good to see you this morning. I know we've got lots of visitors among us and we're so thankful for your presence this morning. A lot of families traveling this time of year uh, for vacation, to be with each other for the holidays. We're really glad that you've come our way. We've also got our college students uh, home from college and we're very thankful for you. We're thankful for um, the good semester you've had and and pray for you as uh, you you get some rest and are getting ready to return uh, in January. Um, there is some weather that they say is coming in later this week, and I just want to say this, especially for our older members. This is Houston, and if you don't know how to winterize the outside of your house, in all seriousness give myself or Jordan Moore or KJ a call this week and we will connect you with someone who can come and make sure that your house is properly winterized. We don't want a replay of what happened in 2021 when the temperatures dropped really low. So call me, call Jordan, call KJ. We'll get you in touch with someone. We can make sure that things at your house are ready for really cold weather because we don't get a whole lot of that here in Houston. And uh, we'll be happy to help you with that. And I know there's a lot that want to volunteer in doing that. So please give give us a uh, call, uh, Send us an email or a text message and we'll be happy to connect you with somebody. But don't, don't sit and wonder. I wonder if I'm ready for this. We can make sure that you're ready. There are a lot of different ways to assess the value of something. And I want to talk this morning about the value of the church. The church that Jesus died to build. You know, value is conferred. Things become more value, valuable when they're scarce, if there's not a lot of something then it's going to be more valuable just by virtue of the fact that there's very few. And when it comes to the church that Jesus built, he said there's only one. Upon this rock I will build my church, singular, Woodrow just read, Matthew 16:18. Not only is the church valuable because of its scarcity, but also because of its durability. When something lasts a long time, when you go buy a car, a lot of people want to buy a reliable car, one that's going to last a long time. For the high price you pay, you want it to last. The Bible says that God has set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. His church, Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. Value is also something that is conferred because things are not just scarce and not just durable, but because they are useful. When something is especially useful, its utility gives it value. And what could be more useful than the church of Jesus Christ? Did you know that when we become Christians, God puts us into a community of believers? And the reason for that, listen carefully, is so that you can grow and mature properly. The reason why God adds us to his church is because we grow as Christians and we have strong faith in our fellowship with other faithful Christians. God helps us to grow up by virtue of and by means of the church. It is useful, it is practical. And God intended and designed the church this way. So when we stop and ask the question, what makes the church valuable? It's scarcity, there's only one. The fact that it is durable, it's gonna last forever. The fact that it is practical and it is useful in our spiritual growth and bringing glory to God. Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21. There's one more thing to consider along these lines. Even if something is in abundant supply and even if maybe it's not as useful, the price that someone's willing to pay confers value on something the price that someone's willing to pay when I lived in Africa we would go to markets and a lot of times in the markets they would they would see a tourist coming or they would see someone that was obviously not Tanzanian coming and all of a sudden the price would go up Uh, just as you walked up you know all of a sudden the price is higher at one time I was talking to somebody and I was kind of wondering you know I went to the market and bought this particular item and I'm not really sure I got a good price what do you think brother And the wise brother said, you know, that's worth as much as you were willing to pay for it. I appreciated that advice. I'm still not sure he was exactly right. But (laughs) I will say this in Acts 20 verse 28, the New Testament church was purchased at the infinite cost of the blood of Jesus Christ. How much was somebody willing to pay for the church? Jesus literally gave it all. And the church is valuable if for no other reason than that. Then God confers value on the church by sending his son to shed his precious blood for the church. Let's think this morning about the church that Jesus built and what makes it so important. If you've got your New Testament with you, open to Acts chapter two this morning. Acts chapter two, we're going to begin there in our study. In Acts chapter two, what is it that makes the church that Jesus built so valuable? And the first thing we'll observe is, it is valuable because of its makeup. What is the church? It's not a building, it's a people. The church is not bricks and mortar, the church is souls that have been added to God. The souls that have been redeemed and ransomed by the blood of Jesus. And in Acts chapter two, you'll notice, the Bible talks about the church that Jesus built as being made up of all those who are, and I've got it in quotes, called out. The word in Greek is ekklesia and it means called out. It means a group or an assembly. And in Acts 2, verse 40, the Bible tells us that on the day of Pentecost, with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort those people that were listening to him. And he said, save yourselves from this crooked or perverse generation. And the Bible says in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And when you look at verse 47, the scripture says, those people that were added They were praising God and having favor with all the people, Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church that we read about in the New Testament is made up of all those who have been added to the kingdom of God. And that happens when they are saved. When someone becomes a Christian, when someone repents and is baptized for the remission of their sins, the Bible teaches that simultaneous to that, God adds that person to the church. And it's valuable and it's precious because of its makeup. It's made up of all those who are saved. Another passage in 1 Corinthians 1, 2 tells us that the church is made up of those who are sanctified. The word sanctify is not one that you probably use in your everyday conversation, but the word just means to be set apart for a special purpose. And when someone is added to the church, when you become a Christian, God takes your life and he has set you apart for a special purpose, a special reason. And we ought to live that way. Be holy for I am holy, the Bible tells us, says the Lord. First Peter chapter one, verses 15 and 16 The church is made up of all who are sanctified. The scripture says in 2 Peter 1 verse 1 that the church is made up of all who are of like precious faith. If we could get in a time machine and go back 2,000 years and visit churches that were originating in the first century that we read about in the New Testament, you know what we would find? You could go from one religious group to the next, to the next, to the next, and they were all teaching the same things, and they were all worshiping the same way, and they were all giving the same answer to questions like, how should the church be organized, and what must I do to be saved? They were all giving universally the same answers. And you look around at the religious landscape today, and you say, well, what's changed? What's different? People have been sowing seeds, they've been planting ideas for centuries that did not come from the Bible. But when you read the New Testament, you'll find that everyone who is of like precious faith, we believe the same things about who Jesus is, and we believe the same things about how someone comes to Christ, and what it means to be a part of the covenant with Christ, and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of Christ. We are of like precious, valuable faith. And we're part of the New Testament church as a result. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they are the ones who make up the church. They are the ones who comprise this body, this group, this called out assembly of God. They are the ones, those who are disciples of Jesus. You know what it means to be a disciple? to be a disciple means that you are a follower or that you are a learner. It's like going to school. In fact, it is going to school. When you become a Christian, you become a follower of Jesus. And all those who are followers of Jesus are in, the Bible teaches, one body. They are in the church that Jesus built. And so when we ask the question about the church that Jesus built, what makes it valuable? It's makeup. God has sanctified and called and saved people and in so doing he has added them to the precious church that belongs to Jesus Christ. That's important. But not only is that important, turn in your Bibles now with me if you would to Matthew chapter 16 and look at verse 18. That was the passage that Woodrow read just a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. What makes the church that Jesus built vital and important and precious and valuable? It's the fact that it has a special relationship with Jesus himself. In Matthew 16, verse 18... Jesus is asking about his identity and what people think of him. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in verse 18, Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What Jesus is saying is that he has come to earth... Yes, to save people from their sins. Yes, to be a ransom and a sacrifice because of the guilt of mankind. But he's also come to build a church. And he did not say, I've come to build my churches, plural. He does not say he came to build a lot of different religious groups that all teach different things. I will build my church. And those who follow me, those who are my disciples, those who are saved by me, they will be the makeup of that church. I've promised, Jesus says, to build my church upon the rock, the confession that he is the Son of God. The church has a unique relationship to Jesus. The Bible tells us that he purchased it with his own blood, Acts 20 verse 28. The blood of Jesus is spiritual currency. And just as American dollars can buy products in the United States of America, and just as Mexican pesos can buy products in in Mexico, the blood of Jesus can purchase people. It can buy you from your sin, but the Bible tells us in Acts 20 verse 28 that God purchased the church with his own blood The blood of Jesus is the currency that was used to purchase us, brothers and sisters and friends. The blood that that Jesus shed on the cross, it was a payment for our souls, a ransom for us, for the church. What makes the church valuable? The fact that the Bible tells us that Jesus gave himself up for it. It tells husbands that we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That's a high standard, husbands, husbands. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. How are you to love your wife? You're to love her in a sacrificial way. You're to love her in a sanctified way, in a holy way. He gave himself up for it. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27. God wants husbands to love their wives and exhibit that kind of love and use Jesus as the model. The way Jesus loves the church, that's how we're to love our wives. He gave himself up for it. What's the value of the church? It's the fact that it's the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18 tells us that the church is the body and Jesus is the head. We don't have a, a, a headquarters on earth. We don't have some place that we look to for guidance and for direction as the people of God. We only look to Jesus himself. He is our head. He is our guide. He is our commander-in-chief. He is the one that makes decisions about the church and about what we're to do and how we're to be organized and what we're to teach. He's the one that makes all those decisions and we are his body as a result. Ephesians 1, and 23, we are the body of Christ, the church that belongs to him. And not only that, the church's relationship to Jesus is seen in the fact that when someone is baptized... The Bible tells us that we are baptized into his body. That's interesting to think about because when someone gets up here and they, they, they get in the water and, and they confess that Jesus Christ is God's son and they repent of their sin, the Bible says that at the moment of baptism, that not only are we being saved from our sins, but at the moment of baptism, we're being added to the body of Christ. Galatians 3.27 tells us we are baptized into Christ, and that is how we put on Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 12.13, by one spirit, we were baptized into one body. The church is valuable because, brothers and sisters and friends, of its relationship to Jesus, because of how we relate to him. We are literally the church of Christ, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. It's a designation of our relationship to him. Next, when you think about the value of the church as you read about it in Scripture and how precious it is, this is God's plan, this is God's will, this is God's design for us. This is what God wants to bring about in our lives, that that we have a community and that we're a part of the church that belongs to Him. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3, and let's talk this morning for just a moment about the church's place in God's eternal plan, Ephesians chapter three, and I want you to notice verses nine through 11, especially. Ephesians chapter three, verses nine through 11. There is a growing trend in the world that people say, I like to be a Christian. I would like to be spiritual, but I don't have any place for the church in my life. I don't have any use for, quote unquote, organized religion, they might say. But when you read about what the New Testament says the church is, that is an untenable position. You you can't believe that and still be faithful to Jesus Christ. Why not? Because of what the Bible says about the church and its nature. In Ephesians 3 verses 9 through 11, the, the apostle is making the argument that everything God has been doing in history since creation has been with the goal and the focus of having a redeemed people in Christ. Everything God's been doing since the beginning has been for the purpose of building a church, building a people that belong to Him. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 9. God wants to bring to light for everyone what is the plan. See, we're talking about God's plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. That's the Old Testament times, who created all things so that, verse 10, Ephesians 3, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What it's saying, brothers and sisters and friends, when you're part of the church, you're part of the plan. When you're baptized into Christ, you become part of God's focus in history. The things that God has been doing since the very dawn of creation, all of those things are summed up in Christ, the cross, and the church. And for someone to say, well, I I just don't need the church. I I don't think it offers any value to my life. We're missing the point. God is saying, this is the most valuable thing that you could ever do with your life, to be a part of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. It's the most valuable thing. There's nothing else you can do that's more important in history. You could go and find a cure for cancer. You could go and be the best governor, the best president that the world has ever seen, and you'd still fall miserably short if you're not part of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. It's the summation of God's work in history. It is the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17, and again, Acts 14, 22. The church is identified synonymously with the kingdom, the same terms of entrance, the same people, the same Lord. We are part of the kingdom that belongs to God when we're part of the church. It's his place in his eternal plan. The church, the Bible tells us, is the temple of God. Now that's interesting to think about because in the Old Testament, the temple was a physical building. And if you wanted to worship God, you had to go to a physical place and you had to bring bulls and goats and offer them as sacrifices before God in the temple in Jerusalem. But now the Bible tells us that God dwells among man in the church. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. You are the temple of God, Paul tells the Corinthian church. You're the dwelling place of God, He dwells among mankind in the church. And not only that, the Bible tells us that the church is the house of God. When you become a Christian, you're part of a family now. When you're a new Christian, you are a part of a new family. You've still got your old family, you've still got your family that you've always had. The people that love you and the people that have cared about you and your parents and your kids and your siblings, all of that, you've still got your old family, but you've got a new family. You are now part of the household of God, 1 Timothy three fifteen. The church is to be a family. We're to function as a family. We're a fellow citizens, and we are part of the household of God, Ephesians 2, verse 19. The church is a family. And not only that, when you think about the place of the church and God's eternal plan, the scripture says the church is the assembly of God. When we assemble together, we are the group, the called out, the people that belong to Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 1 verse 2. The saints, the sanctified. God uses, listen to me now, lofty and noble and dignified language to talk about the church. And we kind of treat the church sometimes as if it's an afterthought. We act like the church, I can take it or leave it. I'll show up if I want to, but... You know, it's not all that important to me. And I'm telling you this morning, the church that Jesus built, that attitude that I can take it or leave it and I don't need it, that attitude is diametrically opposed to everything that scripture says about the church, everything. We cannot be faithful to God and we cannot live faithfully before him without being a faithful part of a New Testament church. Just can't because of its place in God's eternal plan, and for no other reason than that. Then fourth this morning, as we think about the value of the church, why is it so precious before God? Because of its mission, because of what God has given us to do. Take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and listen to what God has assigned for us to do as the church. Jesus was talking to his apostles in Matthew 28, and he was telling them that their mission in life was to go and to preach the gospel in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. What's the mission of the church? You know, if you want to put a fine point on it before we delve into Matthew 28, I'll say this. The mission of the church fundamentally is to glorify God. The church shows God's wisdom, it shows God's grace. It shows God's kindness to mankind. It shows by the fact that we exist that God has a plan that changes lives and brings people to Christ and brings people to himself. We glorify God. And if there's nothing else that we do together as the people of God, we ought to focus on that. We are to glorify and to honor and to lift up the name of God, Ephesians three twenty and 21. But then look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. As you look at it, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority on, heaven and on earth, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, verse 20, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. And we accomplish that by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters and friends, our purpose together as the people of God here in Katy is not just to baptize people. As good as that is, we are trying to make people into disciples. Baptism is part of that. Baptism is essential to that, but baptism is not the goal. The goal is discipleship. That's what we're aiming for, making disciples. And then once somebody is made into a disciple, here's what happens. Look at the passage again. He says, teaching them to observe all things, doesn't he? After you've baptized people, continue teaching them, help them to mature as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we're all about helping people to know Jesus and then helping people to grow up in Jesus. It is a twin message, a twin task, a twin mission. Making disciples, maturing disciples. We've been focusing a lot as a congregation for the last six months or so, especially on making disciples. And that's a wonderful thing. Brothers and sisters and friends, do not forget that we have a responsibility to help people grow up in Christ as well. Without leaving the other undone, don't forget maturing disciples is part of the Great Commission too. We must remember that as the people of God because of the mission that God has given us. Teach them about Jesus. Bring them to a relationship with Christ. Help them to grow. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, Jesus says. Brothers and sisters and friends, we can't be faithful to Jesus Christ without the church. We cannot be the kind of people that God wants us to be without collectively as the people of God, loving each other, loving the Lord together, worshiping together, and contending earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude verse 3 standing up for the truth and sharing the truth and defending the truth before the many attacks that it's under today. Are you a part of the church that Jesus built? Are you a member of the group that belongs to him? There is no better decision you could ever make with your life than to put on Christ in baptism and to be added to the family of God because of everything the New Testament has to say about the importance of the church, that ought to motivate us because we love God and because we want to have a heart for him. It ought to motivate us to want to be a part of the group that belongs to Jesus Christ. And the way we do that, brothers and sisters and friends, is by doing right now today what they did in the book of Acts. They were, they were repentant for their sins, they confessed Jesus, and they were baptized. And that's how they became a part of the church. If we can help you to come to Christ this morning, or if we can pray with you about some struggle in your life or some need that you have, won't you make your need known while together we stand and while we sing?